official show here on the fish stripes podcast it's eli sussman hosting coming off a banner week for the fish stripes podcast we had seven total episodes up on this feed and that's gonna be what you can expect going forward from this week and especially during the regular season the official show starting you off on monday mornings then on tuesday through friday having our new series big fish small pod to get you caught up on all the daily developments most weeks, there will be a second episode of the official show with another Fish Stripe staffer or some special guests. Hopefully, coming up later this week, we have a collaboration with Aram Layden from the Locked On Marlins podcast. I'm sure we have a lot of mutual listeners. And, of course, Marlins Barbecue with Alex Contreras and Red Garcia. They should be a pretty common staple, schedule permitting, during this season as well. We're going to stay busy and obviously opportunities for emergency podcasts and other special editions. So we thank you for everybody who's been with us long-term and uh, just as much appreciative of everyone who's just hopped on here for the 2021 Miami Marlins season. Almost everything we do here centered around the Marlins and how they're doing in the present, in the future. We get started, of course, with the most recent Marlins games on Friday and Saturday. On Sunday, a very rare off day at the end of the week weekend for the Marlins with Friday focusing mostly on the pitching the Marlins won four to two over the Mets Pablo Lopez in his third start of the spring pretty impressive over four quality innings charged with one run it should be noted that in the first inning he allowed a long fly ball to off the bat of Dominic Smith I'm pretty sure and Starling Marte made that catch right at the wall. It was helped a little bit by the wind blowing in that day. So if that goes over the wall, it's an extra two runs, and it sort of changes the whole perception of his outing. That being said, good fastball velocity consistently in the mid-90s with good command of that as well. Some nasty change-ups, and we continue to see encouraging signs from his breaking ball, which is, he still calls a curveball, but he reshaped it for this year to make it more slidery and to complement the rest of his pitches. So we'll see how that actually plays in the real games, but encouraging to see him throw it more often than he did the curveball last season and to make it really tough, especially on right-handed batters. Ross Detweiler in this game, he was the one that put the result a little bit in doubt, had yet another rough outing and uh, overall, now four appearances for him this spring. The Obviously, the free agent signing. He's been around a long time and only expected to pitch out of the bullpen for the Marlins, despite having a lot of career starting experience, coming off a pretty solid shortened 2020 season with the White Sox. And it hasn't translated to the spring games yet. I broke it down on Twitter as the game was going on when he allowed what I think was a game-tying RBI double to Pete Alonso at the time. No, Pete Alonso. Obviously a great hitter, but Detweiler had him in a very vulnerable position. Got ahead in the count, had an, a couple nasty sliders down and in on Alonzo, and looked like he'd be able to put him away with that pitch, but kept getting fouled off and fouled off again. Eventually, one of his sliders just hung out right over the center of the plate, and Alonzo lined it to center field for a hard double. You don't even worry too much about the results, but the fact that he wasn't able to put away Alonzo and then allowed that hard quality contact even with two strikes. A bit of a red flag. Sixth pitch of the at-bat from Detweiler to Pete Alonzo. 
Tying run down at third. Alonzo into center field. Mate Harrison makes the dive, not going to make the catch. Rolls out of the warning track. Alonzo into second with a stand-up double, and Malik Smith scores the tying run. And the Mets and the Marlins now tied up at 2-2. I'm still convinced that he'll be on the opening day roster. He does have a guaranteed contract, and the Marlins are otherwise kind of short on Major League-ready left-handed relievers. So if nothing else, that's something that he brings to the table. We also had a Marlins debut in this one in the later innings. Jake Fishman. Also a funky lefty like Detweiler, at a very different stage of his career, doesn't have any major league experience, acquired by the Marlins in the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft. The fact that he was left unprotected by the Blue Jays organization, yeah, it says a lot about how he's not necessarily regarded as an impact prospect by anybody. And this was his first spring game appearance, a 1-2-3 inning against uh, three hitters that all had major league experience on the Mets as well. Picked up a couple strikeouts in the process. Doesn't have the blow-you-away stuff, but a very unorthodox delivery that you could see hitters being very uncomfortable against, especially if they haven't seen it before, haven't seen anybody like it. A, a nice nice debut for Fishman. Someone that maybe by the end of the season, there's a role that opens up for him. As I just said before, left-handed relievers is something of a thin position for the Marlins at the moment. Moving on to Saturday, the only loss of the entire week for the Marlins, 6-4 to four against the Cardinals in what was it was a home game. Yeah, home game for them at Roger Dean. It's hard to tell because both teams play their home games there. Starting pitcher Eliezer Hernandez, really good in this one. Added on six more strikeouts and now has 12 of them this spring. That's more than any other Marlins pitcher. Uh, people are overlooking this guy. Um, I'm, I'm someone that... Uh, I think he's just a really important part of this pitching staff. Someone whose name has been in trade rumors for on and off the last couple of years just because of how much his stock has grown since they acquired him in the first place a few years ago. Just a reminder, last year posted a 3.16 ERA, a 3.89 FIP, a 1.01 WHIP in six starts before suffering his season-ending lat injury. He seems to be totally recovered from that. Not only recovered, but continuing to evolve as a pitcher. When he was a guy that came up for the Marlins originally, he was a fastball changeup guy, and very famously, beginning in 2019, he unleashed this new slider that has since been one of the better sliders in all of baseball. That's no exaggeration. It's just great movement on that pitch, and the fact that he's able to locate his fastball so well and get ahead in the count has made it lethal and a big reason for his 2020 success. And now here in 2021, he is reintroducing that changeup a lot more. Barely used it last year when he was healthy, but he's made a point to use it more in spring. Pretty solid effectiveness against it. So it's something that he's done in the past. And if he just sticks with the stuff that made him effective in 2020, the fastball command and the excellent slider, then this is a guy that is a lock for the rotation and someone that we shouldn't overlook as having his best career yet health permitting. That's always a big question with him is staying healthy. Very good signs so far for him. Corey Dickerson batted near the top of the lineup in this game and now through 21 plate appearances this spring, he has zero strikeouts. So that really sticks out to me. More so than even the lack of strikeouts is how he's working consistently deep, deep counts. Not necessarily getting all the results you'd want, still not showing a ton of power. Well, no home runs, obviously, and I don't think any balls that have 
necessarily been close to one, but at the very least, if he's someone that works deep counts and ultimately puts the ball in play, there's just so much value to go along with that. He also had a nice defensive play in this game. You'll remember in 2020, that he was a big disappointment in the field defensively, missing a lot of routine plays, and that's been a nice change so far this spring. It's it's an obvious bounce-back candidate. I'm not alone in thinking that. He's, he's really doing everything that you'd want to see pretty much this spring, except for the home run power. In this game, Joe Dunant had a two-run single. Not like what I see of him, he obviously had a great winner in the Dominican Republic, and we're seeing some of the same things translate here in Major League Spring Training. Lewin Diaz came off the bench again, and that makes him 12 for 12 this spring. Not in hitting, but in appearing in spring games. The only Marlins player that has played every single game so far. I imagine that's not going to keep up all the way to the end of spring, but you probably know how I feel about Lewin, that ultimately he's going to be their long-term, everyday first baseman, only a matter of time until the opening presents itself. Always nice to just see a little bit of him, even though you know that his time is a little bit further down the road later this summer. And we should note that at this point in the spring, it's pretty obvious what the Marlins will do with their batting order. Of course, injuries can always change this stuff, and most teams have had more position player injuries this spring than the Marlins. They've been fortunate so far. Health permitting, it looks a lot like a couple of the lineups we've seen this week, where it's Corey Dickerson or Starling Marte in the one and two spot. They could still go back and forth. We'll see what Mattingly does about that. Probably makes more sense to drop Dickerson to number two, just to separate righties and lefties as much as possible for the later innings. Batting third, it will almost certainly be Jesus Aguilar or Garrett Cooper, whichever one is starting that day. In the four spot, usually Adam Duvall in the regular season. Uh, and sometimes Cooper, if Aguilar and Cooper are both in the lineup at the same time, they may be the three and four hitters. Brian Anderson seems pretty locked in at five. Don Mattingly even went out of his way to say so on Saturday, either Friday or Saturday. He said that Anderson is comfortable there. He's a big believer in having fixed batting spots for guys in the order. So he'll stay there. And Anderson overall having a pretty solid spring for himself. Then six, seven, and eight some combination of the second baseman that day, Miguel Rojas, and the catcher that day, which will usually be Jorge Alfaro. So that's what to expect from that. Obviously, with the pitcher in the number nine spot, we're still holding out hope for the universal designated hitter. Maddenly, in particular, is really holding out hope for that. Makes his job a lot easier. Makes the game more fun. Everybody wants it. They should do it. They have not done it as of right now on March 15th. But still a couple weeks for the union and the league to really patch things together and just move forward with a rule that is gaining a lot of widespread popularity. And a final note just on what we've seen recent days, right-hander Paul Campbell returned to Marlins camp. I don't think many of us were aware that he even left Marlins camp in the first place. He was their Rule 5 draft pick last December from the Tampa Bay Rays, someone that has a lot of starting experience and seem to have a very strong chance of making the opening day roster. That is a little bit up in the air right now, considering how well all of the Marlins starters have done this spring, and really almost all the pitchers, with the exception of like Ross Detweiler, how impressive they've been. It'll be interesting to see whether he still makes it. Recently just pitched a single inning in front of Mattingly and the pitching coach, Mel Stoudemire Jr., reportedly did really well, but at this moment, because of the time that he was away from camp for a personal issue, he's only stretched out for a single inning, which makes him 
his usefulness to the team somewhat, you know, up in the air to start the season. Unless he gets stretched out for multiple innings, then uh, the fit with the team is a little bit awkward. So let's see if they could hide him on the injured list or they ultimately decide to return him. Next up, we will discuss Monday's game, Marlins-Astros afternoon 105 start. Starting pitcher Sixto Sanchez, finally. But first, get familiar with Symbol. Symbol, spelled S-I-M-B-U-L-L, is the stock market for sports. You trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Symbol has blended sports and the stock market to offer you a new way to invest in and profit off your favorite teams. Use your sports knowledge to buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Join the 2,000 plus early adopters who have already started. Visit Symbol.app, www.simbull.app to create a free account. Very important. When you deposit, because you're going to want to, make sure to use the promo code FISHSTRIPES, all one word, for a $10 bonus. Visit Symbol.app and use the promo code FISHSTRIPES for a $10 deposit bonus to help build your portfolio. Invest in what you know. Invest in sports with Symbol. And now we look forward to Monday's game. Sixto Sanchez will get the start for the Marlins against the Astros on the road up in West Palm Beach. The first time ever that Sixto will be pitching in a Major League Spring training game. Seems crazy because he's been a consensus top baseball prospect for the last few years. But if you'll remember in 2019, when the Marlins acquired him in the Rio Muto trade, they were very careful with handling him because he was coming off an arm injury in the Phillies organization the year prior. Then in 2020, on the 40-man roster, supposed to be coming off a good minor league season, he was supposed to be one of the star attractions of the Marlins team in spring training, but he didn't pitch for what the team vaguely referred to as conditioning issues. Anybody that was on the grounds at camp that year that could tell you that he was fat. He was out of shape, and whether the team was legitimately concerned about his effectiveness in that condition, or they were simply you know punishing him for not following whatever the plan was for him to stay in shape during the winter, we didn't see him in any games, and he was pretty quickly uh, optioned out of Major League Camp before things even really got started with that. So for Monday, don't get too high. I'm, I'm sure it's highly anticipated for obvious reasons, but Mattingly, Don Mattingly was pretty clear. He'll He's still building up because he was slowed down for those who haven't been following closely. He was slowed a couple days at the beginning of camp by visa issues and then slowed again later in February by a false COVID positive test that kept him out of camp. And so because of that, he's just been behind everyone else in terms of building up. Recently through live batting practice, about 26 pitches to a couple Marlins prospects. And so now the hope is to build him up a little bit more beyond 26 in the form of two innings, maybe three, but probably just two innings, a little bit more, somewhere in the 30 to 40 pitch range in this appearance uh, against the Astros. So he's someone that you probably don't need to hear this, but he is still a consensus top prospect in baseball. He had a good rookie season, ERA and FIP, both around three and a half. The game he pitched his first home outing at Marlins Park was one of the single most dominant performances by any Marlins pitcher last year, and that's saying a lot. 
And it's 6-0 Sanchez. It's 6-0 o'clock somewhere, like at Marlins Park. And on 1-2, he goes back to that changeup. He's got two strikeouts. Ball and two strikes, and Adamas swings and misses. Again, that changeup. And a called strike three. Nine strikeouts for 6-0. And he goes to the changeup again. Double-digit strikeouts for 6-0. Sanchez, one away here in the sixth. Uh, he had a couple lows and a couple highs, including also starting that game two against the Cubs in the wild card series as well. That went pretty well. He shut out the Cubs while he was in the game for five innings. So coming off that, his prospect stock is a little up. So believe it or not, even though he was in the rotation for a good chunk of last season, he still is rookie eligible. And then so technically still a prospect at Baseball America. He is now their number six overall prospect. He's number 15 at MLB Pipeline, number 28 at Fangraphs, number four at Baseball Prospectus, number 11 at ESPN, number 25 at The Athletic. In most of those publications, the number one Marlins prospect, and nobody else has him really lower than number two on the Marlins prospect list. Uh, Craig Mish reported a few days ago that what we probably could have expected, that his innings will be limited because he's never pitched close to a full major league length season before. The Marlins intend to have him, if all goes well, 150 to 160 innings during this upcoming season. And just because of the setbacks that I mentioned before, you know, minor setbacks, not physical setbacks, but because of that, he's not really an option for that first regular season series against the Rays. Just seeing this progression after this outing and a couple more spring outings, he's not going to be fully stretched out. So those first three spots in the rotation are locked up. It's going to be Sandy, it's going to be Pablo Lopez, and then it's going to be Eliezer Hernandez against the Rays in that first series. Hasn't been announced, but it's pretty obvious. Uh, assuming everybody just stays healthy these last couple outings. And then the question is where Sixto fits in after that. The earliest possible regular season debut for him is maybe April 5th, that fourth game of the season. He might not even be fully stretched out for that, but the team will be coming off an off day. And we know that just based on his performance last year, there's not really an excuse for holding him down or saying that they have two other better starting pitchers, as impressive as these other rotation candidates are. To review what happened last year, I mentioned, you know, the bottom line stats. A hit, uh, tip of the hat to Zach Roto on Twitter that he pointed out, I think it was last month, that Sixto is on the short list along with Sandy and Pablo as well, but only a couple handfuls of pitchers in the majors last year that had the highest percentage of launch angle on their batted balls that were greater than 50 degrees and those lower than minus 15 degrees. He Zach called this the preferred launch angle percentage, that these are the balls that are almost automatic outs. You could basically equate them to strikeouts. So that's what 6-0 does to you with a variety of pitches that he has and the pure stuff that he has, and we'll get to that in a moment, that it's just even if you're able to put contact on the ball, you're not able to hit it the way you want to, and you there's a high rate of these automatic outs or if you combine that with a league average strikeout rate, which is what Sixto had in his first call-up, then you're going to be a pretty effective pitcher. With very few exceptions on this list of guys that were among the preferred launch angle leaders. Last year, I mean, what made him special is exactly as advertised. His fastball velocity frequently going into the triple digits and averaging with his fastball 98.5 miles per hour 
with his sinker averaging 96.6 and having usable secondary pitches off of that, in particular his changeup. His changeup is already a great major league pitch. There's really no arguing that. It's something that he's able to throw in almost any counts against righties and lefties. It has such incredible late break to it, and in most cases, he's able to disguise it well coming out of his hand, where it looks like his fastball. Hitters are caught off balance with that. Sometimes he could throw it upwards of 90 miles per hour, but because his fastballs can touch into triple digits, he's still getting that good velocity separation, where he's getting a a bunch of misses on it, and even if they're making contact, you get that kind of uh, innocuous balls in play, as mentioned before, that are either pop-ups or just buried straight into the ground. What stuck out to me last year, uh, when things kind of didn't go well for him, he did have a couple of very poor starts where he didn't even get more than two times through the lineup, is that when the counts get super deep, he gets a lot more predictable. When it's 2-2, 3 2 when counts go on for a while, you see him lean almost entirely on his fastballs and his changeups, not using his breaking balls. So last year, the curveball was more of just a show-me pitch. Like, he would use it in very low-stakes situations to get the ball over. And it's a pitch that, because his fastball is so high, I mean, the curveball, when it's in the 70s, it's such an extreme velocity separation that you can freeze hitters with that. So a key question with the curve is going to be, how often can he throw it over the plate? Because when he does throw it over the plate, it's, yeah, it's almost an automatic strike with hitters anticipating something entirely different. And that is something that he has spoken about this spring with the curveball, trying to use it more often and trying to just make it better, you know, more than just lobbing it over the plate, making something that if hitters do actually anticipate it and try to get a swing on it, that they don't necessarily uh, demolish it. Last year, he did have some shaky results on his slider, allowed a couple of home runs off of the slider, and it's a pitch that throws it when it's at its best. It's almost as good as his changeup is. But for some reason, he he needs to explore exactly when he uses it, and he doesn't really trust it, as I mentioned, when it counts get really deep. He doesn't trust it as a put-away pitch yet. So we'll see how that comes along as this progresses and all that. Um, I mean, you know with Sixto that coming straight out of the minor leagues, and especially after his first couple starts, the comparisons to Pedro Martinez were in your face, and that brought a lot of attention to Sixto and to the Marlins, so that's always fun when they're able to market him by linking him to one of the best pitchers ever. At the same time, it is such an unfair comparison because Pedro is, I think by anybody's accounting, one of the top 10 pitchers in Major League history, if not even much higher than that, and you understand the similarities that, uh, well, one, Sixto had singled him out as a child, as someone that he looked up to and idolized, but I think many other young players, Dominican or otherwise, can say the same just because of how Pedro performed and the way that he entertained in the process and because of the changeup that they have. Pedro very famously had an extraordinary changeup himself. It's just, that's not the expectation for Sixto's career. He's not going to be Pedro Martinez 2.0 in the major leagues over the long haul. He's more of a high floor guy than a high ceiling guy. Even though they want the Pedro comparisons are so forced because it seems to open up a possibility that he could be a perennial Cy Young Award winner, and I, I would pump the brakes on that. I'm very high on him because, at the very least, 
I think he'll be an above average starter for for the foreseeable future because of not just the quality of his stuff and the variety of his stuff, but just how often he throws strikes. Last year, 66% first pitch strikes, and that's exactly what he showed in the minor leagues in 2019 at AA Jacksonville, that he is so efficient with his pitches and he's so smart with his pitches. We don't talk enough about how how they how someone like Sixto thinks about the game that you know we've gotten to know Pablo Lopez a little bit on the Marlins major league staff and how cerebral he is and how he talks about pitching and I see Sixto as a very similar type of guy when you look at his stuff and his mound presence there are some more similarities to like a Sandy Alcantara but in terms of the way that he strategizes with his pitches and the situations that the way that he approaches situations and his willingness to allow contact because he thinks he can get the right kind of contact and he values getting double plays and puts trust in his defense that it, he's just such a complete pitcher. All When he's healthy, he is just so complete. And so at the very least, he's someone that I think even when he has those bad performances that he can straighten things out. So those bad performances, a couple of factors I already mentioned. One other particular one is some occasional discrepancies between his release point on his fastball and his changeup that I noticed last year that sometimes he releases his changeup several inches lower than his fastball. And when that happens, then hitters have an opportunity to recognize it immediately, even before he releases it. The fact that his release point is lower in that situation. Um, When he's on top of his game, and when he's really getting that great late break on his changeup and getting ahead in counts with the fastball, that those are the games where he could pitch a no-hitter. Those are the games where he could just go fastball, changeup, fastball, changeup, and mix up the order a little bit, and you have no idea what's coming. And then there are other games where that release point discrepancy totally gives it away when he's tipping his pitches. That's kind of what people refer to when talking about tipping their pitches, is making it obvious and not being able to adjust mid-game to uh, what's going wrong with your mechanics. So those are various things to look at. I'm very excited for this game against the Astros on Monday because it will be televised by the Astros TV crew, not directly on Fox Sports Florida, but if you subscribe to MLB.tv, you'll be able to watch it, and I'm sure I'll be posting highlights on Twitter, at Fishstripes, as the start is going on. Uh, Again, another disclaimer, it's only going to be a couple innings, three innings at most, but probably just two innings for him against the Astros lineup. And regardless of what happens, it's still a long way to go until the meaningful games count. But the bottom line is that Sixto is still someone that, in a single-game setting, if the Marlins had a must-win game, I mean, he's someone that I would take over anybody among all of their talented arms. I would take him in that situation. At the same time, he's not to be relied upon right now as the full-season ace of their rotation. He still has a lot to prove in that category a lot of areas to grow and to be more consistent at. Just very excited to see how that all develops over the course of a mostly full season. Also, on Monday, we'll be giving away, we have these new Sixto Sanchez shirts created in collaboration with Breaking Tea and Baseball America. We'll have the details about that on Fish Tripes as we do a special edition of Fish Picks, Marlins prop bets for the game on Monday. Be sure to follow us there for the details and also see them on fishstripes.com when we post the game thread article. We are getting real close to real Marlins.
baseball for the 2021 season. Another thanks to our new sponsor at Symbol. Be sure to check that out. I'll be speaking to you guys again soon. Go fish. Go fish.